Good morning. If you would please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke and chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verses 39 through 56 this morning. Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through to 56. And so it's been a privilege to uh, bring God's word this morning as part of the Advent series. Um, How started us off by looking at the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist. And then Seth took us through the announcement of uh, the birth of Jesus. In today's passage, we're going to see the two mothers, uh, Mary and Elizabeth, coming together. And as they come together, they rejoice in what God is doing, both in their lives, but also in the redemptive uh, historical story. So today we're going to consider this passage of Scripture together. It's interesting that as we look at this passage of Scripture, this is one of the places that our Catholic friends turn to, to venerate uh, Mary. They, they find their doctrine to venerate Mary because of how she's called blessed and how she's, she says of herself, generations will call me blessed. But as we read these verses, we can't miss that Mary herself uh, is breaking out in praise to God. Uh, the object of her worship is God and not Uh, She's not looking to herself, though she acknowledges that she is truly blessed of the Lord to be be carrying Jesus for nine months. But before we uh, condescend and look down upon our Catholic friends, we must guard our hearts because John Calvin said, our hearts are an idol factory. And so when we see that uh, God has blessed someone or God has given someone the the privilege of being in Mary's place, it's very easy for us to lose focus of God and worship the created and not the creator God himself. And so as we read a passage of scripture like this and look at church history, how uh, something such such a great passage has been used uh, to promote heresy, we too should check our own hearts and pray that God would keep us from error that we would search our own hearts and our own understanding of Scripture and come before it with humility. But before we begin reading this passage of Scripture, let's turn to the Lord in prayer and ask that he may help us. Let us pray. Our most glorious Father in heaven, we come before you to worship you and adore you. We count it a privilege that we can be gathered together this morning. We do not take it for granted, knowing that each and every one of us has been brought here by your leading. We are reminded that you are sovereign, not just over the big details of our lives, but even in the small details, in our travel plans, in in getting up in the morning, in granting us good health, We know that we sit here this morning by your grace alone. We don't take it for granted that we can meet without fear of persecution, that we can meet without fear of external factors which many of our brothers and sisters around the world face this day. Many meet in fear. Many are unable to meet this day for various uh, various circumstances in their lives. 
And so as we meet together this morning, we ask that your spirit would come upon us in a powerful way, especially as we turn to your word and reflect upon these great truths, truths that are far greater than our finite minds can grasp. And so we look to you, Lord. We ask that you would grant us understanding, that you would grant us the ability to appreciate what you have done, how Jesus Christ would come into this world as the God-man, live a perfect life and die upon the cross to purchase our salvation. We praise you and we worship you for this great salvation that is ours in Jesus Christ. And yet as we meet together this morning, we know that some in our midst have not come to appreciate this great salvation. Some have not trusted in Jesus Christ. And we commit them into your hands, Lord. We pray that you would work in their lives. We think of the little ones in our midst. We ask that you would be at work in their lives, bringing them to a saving faith at a young age before they wander and follow the sinful way of this world. We pray that you would preserve them, Lord. Help them to not go astray and to be carried by the doctrines of this world, but rather to come to a saving faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. We continue to commit our congregation into your hands, Lord, in this festive season uh, with many plans and many activities taking place. We pray that you would protect your people, keep them safe as they travel, keep them free of sickness and disease, but also guard their souls, Lord, as there are many temptations out there in this season. We pray that you would help us to focus upon you. And even as we come to the end of a year, we pray that you would help us to reflect upon the year gone by, to remember that you are sovereign, to reflect upon the plans we may have set out at the beginning of the year, and to re be reminded that you alone cause those plans to succeed or fail. May your name be praised, Lord, as we think of how we come to the end of another year. And we thank you for all that has happened in this church. We thank you for Vacation Bible School and the various conferences and, uh, that we're able to meet each Lord's Day. We thank you for all these great privileges that we enjoy in Jesus Christ. As we turn to your word, we just pray that you would bless the reading of your word. We pray that even as we reflect upon this passage of scripture, you would illumine our hearts and our minds. Help us to appreciate what you have done. Help us to see what you are doing in this day and help us to look forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I begin reading from Luke chapter 1, verse 39 to 56. This is the word of the Lord. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, 
the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers to abraham and to his offspring forever and mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home here ends the reading of god's holy and inerrant word as i mentioned the passage of scripture we are considering this morning uh, entails mary and elizabeth coming together reflecting upon the announcements that we have already seen in the preceding verses and rejoicing over what God is going to do in their midst and has already done. The verses that we are considering, we are told that Elizabeth has been expecting for six months at this stage, but uh, Mary has just found out the news that she will be carrying uh, Jesus in her womb. I remember when we go on a church trip to Mitchell Farms, one of the characteristics is as we get closer to the property, the number of signs that start to appear. Most of these signs are about boiled peanuts. And uh, you know that you're getting closer to Mitchell Farms because of the frequency of these posters. They begin to increase more and more. The posters also seem to get bigger and bigger the closer you get. And so as you're driving there, the more posters you see, you know you're almost there. So too in our passage this morning, we see the number of supernatural events that are taking place and they flag to us that something very significant is about to take place. We've heard about a barren woman who has conceived and is now six months pregnant. Every time in scripture we read about a barren woman conceiving, we know something very significant is about to take place. Consider for example Sarah, Rebecca, or even Hannah, uh, what we just read uh, recently. All these women carried men and gave birth to men who were very significant in the unfolding of God's plan of salvation. And so when we read in these verses that uh, Elizabeth is pregnant and she's going to give birth to John the Baptist, the forerunner uh, to Jesus Christ, we know something significant is going to happen. But if that's not enough, we now see that the virgin is going to give birth, a very significant moment, one that had never happened before, and one that was foretold by the prophet Isaiah. So we see all these signs. In addition to that, even our passage shows how John the Baptist in the womb is able to rejoice when his Lord, Jesus Christ, in the womb has shown up. All these are not ordinary events. 
And so like we get closer to Mitchell Farms, we know something is about to happen. Mitchell Farms is coming. In our passage, we see all these factors. We see all these signs. And we know something great is about to take place. God is about to do something momentous. He's going to do something that is going to change the course of history. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, is going to take on human flesh. He's going to go into the womb that he created. He's going to humble himself and be born of a woman, going to live a perfect sinless life, and then die on the cross to purchase salvation for all those who believe in him, the Jew first and the Gentile. This is big news. This is big news. And as we look at our passage, I hope and pray that we will begin to appreciate what God has done. For us, obviously, we are looking back on these events. We know what happens. We know how it unfolds. We know that Jesus will be born and that he will go to the cross ultimately. But as we consider these passages, as we consider these verses together, may God help us to see what a great plan of salvation he has put together for you and for me. And so as we work through these verses, I, I must confess we're going to jump around a little bit. Um, what I want us to do is take a thematic approach to these verses, and we're going to look at the responses of both Elizabeth and Mary. And I want us to look at the, those under three headings. I want us to see that as we respond to the gospel, we must do so with joy, by faith, and in humility. As we respond to the gospel, we must do so with joy, by faith, and in humility. And so under these three headings, I want us to consider how both these women responded to the gospel, the good news that they had received, with joy, by faith, and in humility. And so we'll jump around because of that. We'll be looking at it under these three themes, and I hope you can follow with me. So first of all, I want us to consider that we ought to respond to the gospel with joy. And as we look at these verses together, we can't miss the, the joyful occasion that, that it, it is speaking about. And the events that are being described necessitate the very fact that it's a joyful occasion. Uh, we know that as married couples, when we, we are expecting, we get so excited uh, when we see the different uh, ultrasounds and we see the baby kicking and we see the heartbeat, all of these uh, contribute to our joy and our excitement. We look forward to the day when the baby will be born. How much more these two women, who are not just carrying any ordinary human baby, but they are carrying two, uh, well, for, for Elizabeth, she's carrying the forerunner, a great prophet to Jesus. But then Mary is carrying the very Son of God in her womb. We can't even imagine the joy that they experienced. And so we consider, first of all, we look at Elizabeth's joy and how she expresses this. Her joy shows that she believes the promises that have been made to her. And we already saw uh, that she expresses the joy in the announcement when she finds out that she's going to be expecting. But more so now when Mary, her cousin, comes to visit with her. Notice with me firstly in verse 41 and also verse 44. Verse 41 tells us 
that when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Later on, she says to Mary, Behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. For a lot of people in the Middle East, in the ancient, ancient Near East, uh, the soul is found, they believe that the soul is, is found in the, in the gut, right down the center of the person. And, and we notice that in these verses, first of all, for, for Elizabeth, the joy that she says was expressed comes from her womb. Now we know that, first of all, it's John the Baptist who is jumping in the womb of, of Elizabeth. He is excited because he knows that Jesus, who is currently being carried by Mary, has come closer. So he jumps in the womb. There's that joy, but there's also the expression that this joy that Elizabeth is experiencing is from the inmost of her being. And thus it comes from the womb. That's the way Luke is writing. He helps us to see that it's from the depths of her being that she's rejoicing. Later on, we'll see this from Elizabeth, uh, from Mary, as she rejoices uh, from the depths of her being. And it's significant because she is overflowing with joy. She is so excited, not just about what God is doing in her, speaking about Elizabeth, not just what she, God is doing in her with this uh, birth of John the Baptist, but she also realizes that there is a significant progression in, the, in redemptive history, that what is taking place here is of, of utmost significance. And so she rejoices. She rejoices to know that what, has, what is about to take place is very significant. If we look at our verses, you, you see in the preceding verses, Elizabeth is not said to have heard of this news any other way prior to this moment. Right? So the angel appeared to Mary and told her that she's going to uh, conceive. But before this, we have not been told that Elizabeth was informed of Mary's pregnancy. But our verse tells us that this was revealed to her of the Holy Spirit. In verse 41, we see that she was filled with the Holy Spirit, and therefore uh, it is revealed to her that Mary is expecting her Lord. And we'll, we'll come to that in just a moment. And so Mary now proclaims, uh, Elizabeth now proclaims in verse 42. She exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. The last time we heard uh, or we read about Elizabeth was back in verse 24. And verse 24 tells us that after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. And so as we have already noted, Elizabeth has been barren, and that was a shameful thing in her, in her culture. People looked down upon her, but the Lord has looked upon her and blessed her with this child, John the Baptist. But even though she was blessed and she was rejoicing, at that point, in verses 24 and 25, we are told that she rejoiced in silence. She kept herself privately rejoicing about what God was doing. And as you would imagine, within six months, the baby grows. And so there's 
physical signs within her that the baby is growing, a testimony of what God is doing, a testimony to the faithfulness of God's keeping his promise to her. But she remains silent. So since then, the first time we hear of Elizabeth speaking is what we see here in verse 42. She exclaims with a loud cry, contrasted to the silent rejoicing that she has been doing over the past five or six months. That is not to say she remained silent for that period, but she was in private. She was growing in her uh, childbearing, and as the baby grew, she was silently, secretly kept. But now Mary has come to visit with her, and she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit is the fruit of your womb. If you also look down to verse 45, she says, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And so the blessing that she's speaking about Mary uh, is not uh, a blessing. She's not pronouncing blessing upon her, but she's rather declaring her blessed state. Going back to verse 42, we see the connection that she says, Blessed are you among women, for blessed is the fruit of your womb. And, and so Mary's blessed state is, is, is connected to the fact that she is carrying Jesus in her womb. And just to make a bookmark, I'd really recommend that we go, if we're not in uh, Richard Sunday School class, to, to go and listen to some of the lessons that we have uh, been working through to try and grasp what is happening here. Very God of very God, taking on human flesh. He is, he is making his dwelling within Mary at this point. This is the creator God. He comes into Mary and he makes his dwelling there and he develops. He goes through the normal processes of development from embryo all the way to nine months. This is what's taking place within Mary. And so I'm saying it's a bookmark because I'm not going to go into all that Richard has been covering. Uh, it's been a great blessing, but I would encourage you to go and reflect upon that, even as we get closer uh, to Christmas and we think more about the birth of Jesus Christ. We see Elizabeth rejoicing over this reality. And her rejoicing is made evident in her exclam exclamation of a loud cry saying, blessed are you among women. And then she also says, blessed are you, for you have believed what God has spoken, uh, what, what was spoken of her from the Lord. And we'll, we'll look at this a bit more in, in, in considering how she expresses faith in God's promises and how Mary does the same. But let's then move on and see how Mary expresses her joy. Mary expresses her joy in response to the news that she has received. Like I mentioned, last week we considered verses 26 through 38, where Mary had received this news. She has been told that she will conceive, and though she can't fully grasp what is going to take place, she responds by saying, verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She, be she believes, she receives the promises of God. Many times when we come to scripture, we may not fully understand everything that we read about, particularly when we think about the, the last times, when we think about the second coming of Jesus Christ, 
We may not fully understand the why and the when and the how. Certain things have not been revealed to us, but we receive them by faith. We receive them with joy. We say, come Lord Jesus. We look forward to being taken to being with the Lord. So too, Mary has received this news. It's perplexing to her. She is not married. She does not know a man like she has said, but she rejoices nonetheless. And so our, our, our passage is filled with rejoicing, but take note of a few points here. First of all, in verse 39, we are told that Mary went immediately. She arose and went with haste. And it's interesting to note that these two words, or these two verbs that Mark or Luke is using, arose and went. He continues to use these throughout his narrative, both in the book of Luke's, Luke and also in the book of Acts. He uses these verbs to show a progression in salvation story. He uses these words to show something significant is happening and unfolding. And as you would read the accounts, you notice that when something significant happens, he either says the person arose and went or simply they went. Uh, and, and that's something that he is using as a tool to move the narrative on. But we are told that Mary does so with haste. She arose and went with haste. She makes this journey which would have taken her maybe two to three days through a mountainous country on her own. Uh, we're not told that she went with Joseph at this point. She goes on her own with haste because she has received this news. When you're excited about something, it is hard to wait. Children, I know you're looking forward to receiving gifts on Christmas Day. It is difficult to wait. It's difficult when you start to see those presents by the Christmas tree to wait until Christmas Eve or Christmas morning when you're going to open the presents. It's difficult to wait when you're excited about something. And so we see with Mary, she has received this news. She is not waiting for another six months before she can go and tell Elizabeth, her cousin. She is not waiting to go and rejoice with her. She does so with haste. And this shows us her joy. She is so excited that she gets up hastily and she makes her way two days down to go and be with Elizabeth, her cousin, to rejoice in what God is doing. She doesn't go to uh, Joseph at first, but she goes to Elizabeth to share with her. But then, by the very fact that Mary breaks forth into song, we know that she is rejoicing. The verses 46 to 56 contain for us the Magnificat, uh, and this comes from the Latin. The first few words of the Latin translation um, contains the word Magnificat. So this is, <clears throat> this is Mary's song of thanksgiving, Mary's song of praise for what God is doing. And the fact that she breaks forth into song shows us that she is ecstatic, she is rejoicing. And we see this throughout this, the pages of scripture. Whenever God does something miraculous or magnificent, uh, a great work of providence in the life of a believer, we see them break forth into song. Uh, consider Moses and Miriam's song when they come through the Red Sea. And God delivers them in a mighty way. They thought they would be consumed by the mighty Egyptian army. But instead, the entire Egyptian army is plundered. They, are, they go through the Red Sea and the waters come through them, the waters of judgment, and they are destroyed. The entire powerful army of the Egyptians are destroyed in just a moment. 
And what happens? Miriam and Moses break forth in song. We saw uh, the prayer of Hannah that we just read in a moment that um, Hannah has been informed of this miraculous conception as well for her. She has been barren and now God has answered her prayer and she is, going, she is pregnant. She has uh, conceived. And so I wonder if as we were reading this account from 1 Samuel chapter 2, if you noticed a number of parallels between our verses and Hannah's prayer there. And so if you would with me, just turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 2. And I want us to see a few connections. If you would keep one finger in Luke chapter 1 and uh, the other in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And I'll very briefly just point out some connections for us, helping us appreciate um, Mary's joy in rejoicing in this song. So when we go back to 1 Samuel chapter 2, we'll notice that Hannah, just like Mary, begins by rejoicing in the Lord. She rejoices in her God for the great deliverance that he has brought. She rejoices in the holiness of God, that he, there is no one like him in verse 2. 1 Samuel, sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. We see those similarities with Luke chapter 1, verses 47 through to 49. And then Hannah goes on to say, Do not keep talking so proudly and let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. And then she goes on to talk about the bows of warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. And so this contrast, we see Mary saying the same thing. She talks about how the proud and the mighty have been humbled, how the the poor have been filled, but the rich uh, have, have, have been sent away to be, um, to be empty. She sees and she reflects upon how God has blessed the humble. He has exalted the humble, but he has brought the proud down to be nothing. And so all these parallels that, uh, that Mary is making here, looking back to the song, uh, the prayer of Hannah, and connecting it into her song. But it's interesting to note, if you go right down to those verses in 1 Samuel chapter 2, that right at the end, Hannah says, verse 9 and following, It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And Hannah is looking forward to a day when God would deliver his people. She is looking forward to God's anointed. The word there is Messiah. She is looking forward to God's Messiah who will one day come and rescue the people of Israel. And though Hannah may not have conceived fully what was going to happen in the future, we see that Mary is picking up on that because she is making connections to um, God's promises being kept and fulfilled. And again, Mary may not fully understand what God is going to do through Jesus, but she has believed that the Deliverer, the Messiah, is going to be born and is going to rescue the people of God. And so while Mary is uh, using language similar to Hannah's, it's not premeditated. 
It's something that flows out of her and it actually shows us that Mary was one person who meditated and memorized her scripture. Commentators have noticed how Mary's language here is reflective of a number of the Psalms, Psalms such as Psalm 34, Psalm 35, 44, 71, 111. And if you have cross-references in your Bible, I'm sure you can see those Psalms that are cross-referenced. Mary is, is, is one person who was saturated in Scripture. And it was not premeditated. She doesn't go back and say, what verses can I quote? But it's because she is meditating upon these Scriptures that when she is rejoicing, her language is biblical. This is something for us to take note of. We don't have time usually when we're brought into moments of great rejoicing or great calamity to stop and reflect upon scripture. In those moments, what comes straight out of us is what our hearts are filled with. And so the shaping influences that we allow into our lives are what are going to determine and going to guide our responses in the moments uh, that we face great joy or great calamity. And so here is a, is a challenge to us to be people who are meditating upon the word, who are meditating upon the word day and night, as the psalmist says in Psalm 1. And that when, when we are expressing ourselves, we will speak biblical language, not in a pretentious way, but because we believe the truths of the Bible, which we have hidden in our hearts. And this is something that we can all learn from. We are constantly being challenged. We are constantly being reminded to spend more time in the word, more time reflecting. Another thing to take note of is how Mary breaks forth in this great rejoicing. And it makes me think about our singing in church. Obviously, when we come together in gathered worship in an orderly manner like this, we know the songs we're going to sing. We have thought about them. Perhaps we've looked at the order of worship. When that's announced, we will sing. But sometimes what that can do is when we sing, we sing devoid of emotion. We sing devoid of passion. We don't think about the words that we're singing and we won't sing passionately. But consider Elizabeth, consider Mary here, for example, who breaks forth in praise. This is impromptu. This is coming from the depths of her being as she rejoices, as she says there in verse 46, my, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. That's from the depths of her being, from the uttermost, inmost part of her being, that she rejoices and sings forth to God. And so may we think about our singing, our praise and worship to God. As we do so, may we do it meditatively, may we reflect upon the words that we sing, and may God give us the passion that as we proclaim these truths to one another, May we be reminded of the God that we're singing about and the truths that we're singing about. So in considering these two, we see how Mary and Elizabeth rejoiced. They rejoiced in this good news that was given to them, and they do so by faith. So let us consider, secondly, our response, our response by faith, our response by faith to the gospel. We look again at Elizabeth. And we've already touched briefly on how she says, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Mary has just received this news, so there's no visible sign of her being pregnant with Jesus. The Holy Spirit is testifying to Elizabeth at this point 
that Mary is carrying Jesus in her womb. And yet she speaks with so much confidence. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. This is an expression of her faith, that she has believed God. But she also goes on to say in verse um, 43, And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And verse 45, as we already read, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. What Elizabeth says here is quite remarkable. She says that Mary is uh, she's carrying her Lord. So she says in verse 43, Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And in verse 45, she says that Mary is blessed because she has received the word from the Lord. What is interesting here is that the word that is being used in the Greek is the, the title Curios, Lord, right? Curios in Greek means Lord. And this is the same translation that the Greek Old Testament uses to translate God's covenant name, Yahweh. Yahweh is translated in the Greek New Testament as Curios. So what Elizabeth is saying is that Mary is pregnant with the Lord. Very God of very God. That should blow our minds, right? The second person of the Trinity, very God of very God, Yahweh himself, is now indwelling Mary. That is that is mind-blowing stuff. And, and that's why I was referring us back to what Richard has been covering. The incarnation is so significant because in the incarnation, God became man. He took on the flesh of human uh, kind and he comes into the world for our salvation and his glory. So what Elizabeth says, filled by the Holy Spirit, is very very significant. It expresses her faith in what God is doing. It expresses her faith in this progression of divine revelation. But then we consider Mary and, and Mary how she expresses her faith in, um, in what God has spoken to her. If we look at verses 45, first of all, uh, I've already read that Elizabeth calls her blessed because she has believed what was spoken of her. Now it's interesting that Luke here in chapter 1 is already introducing us to a very significant theme that he's going to continue developing throughout the gospel. And that is the contrast between those who will believe in Jesus and those who will reject him. Already we have seen Zechariah back in verse 20. In verse 20 we read, You will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And so there is judgment pronounced on Zechariah and he remains mute for the next few months because he did not believe. Now we come back to verse 45 and Elizabeth is declaring that Mary is blessed of the Lord because she has believed that there will be fulfillment of what is spoken of her. When we receive the gospel, we are to believe, we are to receive it 
by faith. We are not able to scientifically prove everything that we find in the Bible, but we believe it and we receive it by faith. We, in Hebrews chapter 11, we are told that faith is believing in the things that are not seen. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So Mary is called blessed because she has believed the good news by faith. She has responded by faith to the good news. It's interesting that later on in Luke chapter 11, verse 27, when one of the women in the crowd said to Jesus, Blessed is the woman, or blessed is the womb that bore you, and the breasts at which you nursed. Jesus responded in a very remarkable way. He said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Let me repeat that. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. We see defined for us by Jesus himself this nature of true blessedness. What Jesus is doing for us here in Luke chapter 11, verse 27 and 28, is providing commentary for us back on Luke chapter 1, verse 45. What is it to be blessed? It is to believe in the promises of God. To be truly blessed is to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that we have believed, not of our own accord, but because we have had our eyes opened. Supernaturally, the Holy Spirit reveals to us that this is true and we come to faith in Jesus Christ. We are to respond to the gospel by faith. We are to respond to the gospel by believing the good news. Interestingly enough, again, in John chapter 20, verse 29, Thomas uh, sees the Lord and he declares, verse 28, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And this is speaking of you and I, brothers. If you have brothers and sisters, if you have come to believe in Jesus Christ, you have done so by faith. It is not because you have visibly seen Jesus Christ, but it's because you have believed his word and you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. These are the ones that are spoken of being blessed. And so if we think about this a little bit more, it's very interesting, but it should bring us to praise and worship because our God is consistent. He is not contradicting himself. Because even for Mary and Elizabeth, those two women who were blessed in a very special way, the way of salvation is one. They too must believe in Jesus Christ. And that is what Jesus is telling us in Luke chapter 11, verse 29. That they don't automatically become saved. They do not automatically inherit the kingdom of heaven because they bore the Son of God. Or because Mary bore the Son of God. And that should give us great hope in our God. Because God is consistent. We can trust him. He does not have two ways of salvation. One for us and one for Mary. And this is where our Catholic friends, again, get it wrong because 
they are placing the emphasis of her blessing on the wrong place. There was nothing in Mary different from us. She was a sinner like you and I in the need of grace. And so when we see her response of faith, we too should be challenged to respond in faith. If you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that the Lord would work in you, that he would help you to see the truth that is found for us in the gospel, that you would come to faith in him, and that you would believe in the saint, in his Savior, Jesus Christ. But notice with me that in Mary's song, she believes not just that she will bear Jesus Christ and she will uh, that she has been blessed. She doesn't just receive that promise by faith, but she also receives, uh, she also makes the connection of what God is doing, again, in redemptive history. And so as we consider the verses 50 to 56, we see that she is making some very important connections. She says in verse 50, His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. <clears throat> Excuse me. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And as, as Mary is recounting all these events of history, Israel's history, she looks back and thinks about Moses and how he led the Israelites out of captivity. She thinks back to how God came down on Sinai and gave his people his word. She thinks about how Nebuchadnezzar, for, for example, later on, who was high and mighty, was humbled as one who had become haughty and begun to trust in himself. And so we go down there and we see he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. The kings who have trusted in themselves, as Psalm 2 shows us, will be humbled. The kings that are looking to themselves for salvation and deliverance will be humbled. Then she goes on, verse 52, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers and to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So she's reflecting on how God has been faithful not just in this moment where she, where she has received the good news, but she looks back on what God has been doing throughout the history of Israel. And she is excited because of the turning of events. Israel have come back from exile, but things are not the same, and they're looking forward to the Messiah. They have been waiting for hundreds of years, and now finally, good news has come. God is not forgotten about him. God has not forgotten his promises and so we're reminded in verse 54 that God remembers God remembers uh, his mercy and he remembers his servant Israel but he also remembers the covenants that he has made to Abraham for example and so in Jesus Christ all the covenants that were made in the past find their fulfillment the promises that were made to David and Noah and Abraham and Moses and Adam find their fulfillment right here in the coming of the Messiah. While those figures uh, enjoyed some blessing of God and some blessings of the covenant, they all failed to keep God's promises. But finally, Jesus has come, the one who will fulfill the promises, God's promised king, 
God's chosen Messiah, the one who delivered the people, has now come. And this is why Mary is so excited. She's not just excited about her personal faith. She's not just excited about what God has done to her. But we see this shift. She is now excited. She is rejoicing because God is doing a great thing. And we too, as we look around, we can be excited that we are, we are the chosen. We have come to faith in Jesus Christ. But we must also look around and see what God is doing in building up his church. He is bringing people to himself and he continues to build up his church. And so we too must rejoice as we see this happening, as we see the gospel being spread, as we see people coming to faith, we rejoice knowing that God is fulfilling his promises and we look forward to his second coming as those living after the first coming of Jesus Christ. And so then we, we see thirdly that we are to respond with humility. And you'll be happy to note that this point is shorter than the previous two. So we won't be here as long as the first two points. So the third point we want to see here is that we must respond in humility to the gospel. If you come to believe the truth of the gospel, if you come to hear the good news of the gospel, it should not leave you proud and arrogant. It should not leave you in a place where you feel like you did something to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Grasping the truth of the gospel should humble us. It should humble us like Mary and Elizabeth did because they realize their position as lowly, um, lowly people who do not deserve the grace of God which he has shown them. That they are not worthy of the mercy that he has bestowed upon them. And so they realize their own humbleness. So let's look briefly at Elizabeth. Elizabeth says, she questions in verse 43, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She counts it a privilege that Mary should come to her to visit. Mary who is now pregnant with Jesus. Why should it be granted to me? She is not thinking, I've been pregnant for six months, so you are right to come and visit me at this point. Uh, there is something to see here. Come and see what God is doing in me. I've been barren for so long. Uh, you ought to rejoice with me. She is rather questioning, why am I worthy? Why am I such a lowly servant worthy of this visit from my Lord and Savior? This is our response. When God visits us with grace and mercy, we too should be asking, why me, Lord? Why have you chosen a sinner such as I? but all for the glory of God. And then we see Mary, Mary responding here in verse 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And some, some uh, translations go with servant, maid servant would be probably more um, accurate to give us this, the sense of what Mary is saying. She realizes her lowly state. And she did the same when she spoke to uh, the angel who came to her. Uh, verse 38, she says, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. She realizes that there's nothing within herself that, that uh, makes her deserving of God's unmerited favor. She is undeserving and she expresses this in her song. The Lord has looked upon her humble estate and has blessed her in a great way. And when we think of our blessings in Jesus Christ, 
when we think of how God has blessed us so richly in Jesus Christ. Think about Ephesians chapter 1. In Jesus Christ, we have every spiritual blessing that we need. When we think about those blessings, when we think about the church, when we think about all that God has done for us throughout our lives, it should not make us proud. It should not make us look to ourselves, but it should humble us. It should cause us to praise and worship and adore our God for his great mercy and his grace. He has not treated us as our sins deserve. Though we have been foolish, though we have wandered off, he has been faithful to keep his promises. And so we can rejoice. But we should respond with humility. We should respond with humility knowing that we are undeserving sinners who have been saved by grace. And in that humble state, we should go out to those who do not who do not know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not to look down upon them for the lives they live, or for the lostness that they, they have, that they do not know of the mercies, because we know that had it not been for our God, we too would be lost in this world, chasing after all kinds of things, but not here today in church. But praise be to God, who has looked upon us with favor, who has brought us to himself, who has rescued us from a life of idolatry and has brought us into the fold. So as we have reflected upon these two women, Mary and Elizabeth, we see how they responded with joy. They respond by faith and in humility. We have seen that though these two women were remarkably blessed like no other throughout the history of mankind. We share something in common with them, that we too, like them, are sinners in the need of the mercy and grace of God. That we too are blessed, we can be called blessed because our eyes have been opened. And there is nothing that we can boast in but all glory and honor and praise goes to God alone because he has orchestrated such a beautiful plan of salvation which should bring us to our knees and say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, it is passages of scripture such as these that bring us to our knees to worship you and to adore you. Passages such as these that leave us speechless. But we just want to say thank you, Lord, for saving us. We pray, Lord, that as this great salvation is laid forth for all those who would hear, that they would be drawn in to peer into these great riches which are made available to them. Won't your spirit work in the lives of those who do not know you to draw them closer to yourself? May the scales fall off. May the chains break free. And may they come to believe in your son, Jesus Christ, even this special season. We pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.